Good morning, New Post. My name is Rachel Gerhardt. Like he said, I'm the youth pastor here at New Post Church. So today, I get to share with you one of my personal favorite topics to talk about, and it's one that we talk about all the time with the youth group. But before we get to that, I want to take a look at where we've been. So we're in this series called Maker Mark, Maker's Mark, and we're looking at different emotions that we feel and that God also feels. Um, the first week, we heard about anger. The second week, we heard about sadness. And this week, we're going to hear about an emotion that God not only feels, but it's the one that he shows. And this emotion is love. There are many types of love, but the one we're going to talk about today is one of my favorites as well, which is the love of Christ that we are to reflect and to show to others. So in order to understand that love that God shows us and that we also must show, we take a look at our physical representation of God, and that's Jesus. And I want to start us off by looking at a verse. It comes from John 13, 34. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, this is the type of church, this is the type of love that the church should be marked by. Now, if you're not a follower already, this isn't something you need to be marked by. This is a mark of our maker, and if you are, if you are not a follower of our maker, you don't necessarily have to be marked by this, but it's not something bad. It's something that you all should be marked by. But if you are a follower, you don't get an easy out. In fact, you don't get an out at all. Because if you are a follower, this is something that you must be showing. So now I want to take a look at this verse that I read for you a little closer. You've probably heard this verse before. It's a pretty common one. But I want to go ahead and take a closer look at what it says. So it starts off by saying a new commandment. I don't know about you, but I've thought before when I've heard this, that's not new. We hear this all the time, love one another. But something that many scholars believe is the new part is the fine print that's included. And the fine print is, even as I have loved you. Now, this is a really big commandment. But to help you understand just how big it is, I actually want to take a look at Mount Everest. So Mount Everest is 29,000, 29 feet above sea level. To give you a little reference of how high that is, most of Fredericksburg is around one to 200 feet above sea level. So this is a whole lot higher than we are. And to give you a few more size comparisons, it would take 4,300 or 4,838 six-foot-tall men to reach the top of, the, of Mount Everest. It would take 27 Eiffel Towers, 20 Empire State Buildings, or just over three Golden Gate Bridges in order to reach the top of Mount Everest. So it's a pretty tall mountain. And as of January this year, 6,338 people have climbed to the top of this mountain. But people don't stay up there for very long. In fact, there's actually a Guinness World Record for a man who stayed up there for 21 hours. That's the longest we have recorded anybody staying on top of this mountain. So now this command that I talk, talked about, to love one another even as I have loved you, I'm going to call it a Mount Everest-sized command. And by calling it that, I mean with Mount Everest, some people reach the top, but they don't, don't stay up there for very long just like this command. Some will reach it, some will achieve this, some will follow it, but you don't stay up there forever. 
And I say all this to say that being marked by God's love is not an easy task. It's not something you can just achieve and check off your list, oh, I got that one done. It's something you have to work on every single day of your life. And it's not something I'm unfamiliar with. So to give you a little brief backstory, when I was in high school, I was working a position with somebody that I had been really close to for many years. It was somebody who was a mentor for me. For the first couple of months working with her, it was awesome. I mean, we grew closer together, we got a lot done, and we worked really well together. But after those first few months, it became really toxic. She began emotionally manipulating me because she knew me. She was my mentor, so she knew just how to get to me. She began abusing her role over me. She dismissed anything I said, if it didn't perfectly align with what she wanted. And she began exaggerating the truth or even just making stuff up so that I would look worse and she would look better. And this really started to tear me down. I mean, this is the person who's been a mentor for me for several years. It's somebody I loved, I cared for, I trusted, but she broke that. And I'd already been struggling with a couple mental issues, and this just dug me into an even deeper hole that took me a long time to get out of. I tried many times after the fact to reconcile with her. I didn't want to lose that. She was a really close friend who I really loved, and I didn't want to lose what I had with her. But she countered that by completely cutting me out. I wanted to still love her, but it became all too easy to think, why bother? I mean, she's completely cut me off. Why should I continue loving this person who clearly wants nothing to do with me? And I'm sure you've probably been there too. You've probably been hurt by somebody and begin to think, why do I need to keep loving this person? There's no reason. I mean, they've hurt me. They've maybe cut me out of their life. Why do I need to love them? It took me a really long time to realize or to figure out why and how I need to still love her. And I want to say first and foremost that I'm not saying that if you've been hurt or if you've been in this toxic relationship or friendship, don't stay in it. I'm not saying that. First, you have to get out of that situation, and then you begin loving from afar. So it's something, this love is something that I have to continue working on every single day of my life. But it wasn't something that I could begin to do until I understood why I needed to love her. But in order to do this, in order to understand why, First, we must know what this love is. It's not our version of love. Our version of love is easy. Our version of love is when you're in a happy marriage. Or maybe your kids are getting along really well and they're being super obedient. That's easy love. Or maybe when you're getting a lot of work done, working really well with your coworkers, that's easy love. And that's not the kind of love I'm talking about. That's human love. What I'm talking about is God's love. Now, the question you must answer is, which do you have? Do you have God's love or do you have human love? And the best way to know what this love looks like is to look at Jesus. And this is something that John captures perfectly in his gospel. So I want you to go ahead and take out your Bibles and find John 13. We're going to start at verse 36. 
Now, while you guys are getting there, today we're going to be looking at two different characteristics of Jesus' love. These two characteristics are ones that if you want to love like Jesus, you must have these two characteristics. So now let's set the stage for what we're about to read. What we're about to read is Jesus speaking the night before his crucifixion. Judas has already left to betray Jesus. Earlier that night before the meal, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. That was not something you heard of back then. The teacher did not watch, wash the followers' feet. So the disciples are already really confused. They're really lost. And now Jesus is preparing them for the greatest act of love that would ever be shown, and they are not ready for it. So we start off in verse 36, and it says, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. So here we see Simon Peter professing that he's willing to lay down his life to continue to follow Jesus. But Jesus knows that isn't the case. Jesus knew that all of his disciples, despite all of them saying that they would continue to follow him, they would all flee. And we see this play out through Simon Peter. After Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter was confronted three times. All three times, somebody came up to him and asked if he was a follower of Jesus. And each of those times, he denied it. He didn't want to be seen loving or following this person who was just arrested, who everyone now seems to hate. He didn't want to be seen following them. And so he denies it. And despite all of the disciples saying that they'd follow Jesus no matter what the cost was, they didn't. They weren't there at the tomb when it opened. Most of them weren't even there at the tomb when it was discovered to be empty. But after Jesus returns from the tomb, we see what we would least expect from him. We see Jesus return right back to his disciples. He doesn't leave them because of their fear. He isn't angry or upset. He takes them right back in. He doesn't distance himself. He chooses them to continue his work on earth while he is away. While many others would leave, while probably all of us would leave, we see the exact opposite from Jesus. And this shows us what our first characteristic is. It's that Jesus' love was committed love. Jesus was so committed to his disciples that he returned to them after they all fell back on their promises. They promised to be at his side, yet when the time came, they weren't there. But that didn't stop him from returning to them, continuing to love them. Now, one of the clearest examples that we see of this committed love happens just a little bit later in this story when Jesus is in the garden that he's gonna be arrested in later that night. And this example shows us that this commitment was already decided beforehand. Jesus had pre-committed to this love that he was going to show us. He had decided that however his father, however God chose was best for him to show this love, he was willing to do it. So we see Jesus walk into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, and he falls with his face to the ground in prayer, and he says, my father, if it is possible, 
May this cup be taken from me. Jesus wanted to be spared from the suffering that he knows he's about to endure. He doesn't want to go through all of that. I mean, he's seen it before. He knows what pain he's about to endure. But his request doesn't end with that. He ends it by saying, yet not as I will, but as you will. So essentially, Jesus is saying, I don't want to go through that pain. I don't want to go through that suffering. But I've already committed to loving my people. So if this is how you want me to show it, I'm ready to do it. And this shows us exactly how committed Jesus was to the love that he has for us. So now, there's our first characteristic, that Jesus' love was committed love. The second characteristic is one that can only be achieved after you have chosen to commit. Before you can move on to this second step, you must first decide that you are committed to loving like Jesus loved. So let's go ahead and take a look at our second characteristic. And in order to do that, we're actually going to go back a few verses. We're going to go back to verse 31. So remember, this is the night Jesus is um, preparing his disciples for what is about to come. It's the night before he dies, and he is explaining to them what is about to come that they are not ready for. So now Jesus says, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. So these words were spoken by Jesus at the Last Supper, where he is sitting around the table with his disciples, telling them what is about to come. Now there's a word in that verse that we hear, that it's in there a lot, and it's the word glorify. I don't know about you, but glorify is one of those words that you know what it means, but when you're asked to explain it, you can't quite figure out how to explain what it means. So I did a little digging, and I went back to look at what the Greek word means. And the Greek word is doxazo. And we see it in other places in the Bible, and it means to praise, to magnify, to celebrate, to honor, or to render it excellent. Being crucified was meant to be a complete act of humiliation. You're stripped of your clothing. You're beaten right up until the brink of death. You're made to carry the cross that you're about to die on. You were nailed to the cross, hanging up there for everybody to see, not only the crowd who is there, but anybody who walks by. Humiliation is what was meant to come of this, but that's not what came of this. Jesus is saying that this act that's supposed to be humiliating instead will bring glory to him and his father. This act of complete surrender, of giving up one's own life for others, it shows us our second characteristic, which is that Jesus' love was costly love. It cost Jesus everything but while gaining something of even greater worth. It gave us a pathway between us and God so that we're no longer eternally separated. Jesus became the bridge between us and his Father. And it's probably going to cost you something if you are going to continue loving the people who hurt you. But whatever it may be, are, are you willing to pay it? Because if you aren't already committed to loving like Jesus loved, 
you're probably not going to be willing to pay once the price is given. And why is this love even important? If somebody hurt me, why should I love them? I mean, I know it's the easy Jesus answer. Just love them. But how do I do that? Why is it important? Remember first, I'm not telling you to stay in a situation where you're being hurt. If you are in a situation where you're being hurt, harmed, or abused, please get out of it first. And then once you're out of it, then you can work on loving this person. Once you're out of it, you can begin loving this person from afar. And this is important for many reasons. When you love somebody who hurt you, you take away their power over you. You take away any bitterness or toxicity that lies in your heart, and instead, you replace it with grace and mercy, which is perfectly in line with what we see from God. So now, we've seen these two characteristics of how Jesus loves. So now, what do we do with that? How do we love like that? You've probably thought before, does that really mean everyone? I mean, I can't just love like Jesus loved. I mean, Susie at work, I cannot possibly be expected to love her. She is just absolutely horrendous to work with. Or that person who cut me off this morning, I mean, they were being stupid and idiotic. Surely I don't have to love them. But what many people don't realize is that loving somebody does not equal liking somebody. When Jesus was being dragged away, you think he stopped to think, hmm, I kind of like these people. <laughs> or maybe when he was being beaten right up until the brink of death, you think he stopped to think, you know what? These people are kind of cool. I kind of like them. <laughs> probably not what he was thinking. But despite that, despite the fact that he probably didn't like them right now, that didn't stop him from loving them. Loving these people wasn't easy for him. It cost him everything. It cost him his life. But he had already committed to loving these people, so he was willing to pay whatever the price was. And what about those who aren't like us? I mean, what about those who don't think the way you do, who don't manage your fi their finances the way you do, those who have different political beliefs, different sexuality beliefs, they're nothing like me. I mean, surely I don't have to love them, right? But did that stop Jesus? Did he die for just those who were like him? We see the exact opposite when we read in John 1, 2. It says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know Jesus' sacrifice was because he loved us, and his sacrifice was for all people. It didn't matter what color, what race, what religion, what political beliefs, what sexuality, what financial status. He loved everybody. He died for everybody. Now, to refer back to my early story, I often wondered, why do I still need to love this person who hurt me so bad? And it took me a long time to realize that by not loving her, I wasn't behaving like Jesus. I wasn't loving the way Jesus loved. I wasn't living by this command that he gave us. I don't get to pick and choose who I get to love. I don't get to let my hurt 
surpass this commandment that we are given. But that's not an easy thing to do. I had to fully surrender the situation over to God so that through him, I could continue to love her. Now, that didn't mean putting myself back in the situation where she could harm me again, but it did mean loving her no matter the cost. And it cost me. It cost me my pride because I had to recognize that my own hurt wasn't greater than the commandment Jesus gave us. And that's something you need to realize. The hurt that you are feeling is not greater than this command. So what about you? Are you willing to pay the price? Loving people isn't easy, and it may cause you to lose something. It may cause you to lose your time to go help somebody in need, Maybe it means losing an argument, a heated argument that you are really passionate about, but you know you have to back down. Or maybe it means losing some money that you've worked really hard to earn. But whatever the cost, are you willing to pay it? If you, already, if you haven't already committed to loving like Jesus loved, when the time comes and the price is given, you're probably gonna back out of it. That's why you have to commit up front to loving others. If Jesus hadn't committed up front, he probably wouldn't have been so willing to pay the cost that was given. So here's what I want you to take from this. If you take nothing else out of what I've said today, hear this. If you want to love like Jesus loved, Choose this commitment now so that when the price is given, you're ready to pay. Something I know stops many people from this commitment to committing to this love is the cost with no return. But what many don't think about or even realize is the fact that we are promised a return. Jesus tells us this in John 14. This verse comes from right after for what we read. It is taking place the night before Jesus is killed. He's told his disciples this really heavy stuff. And now he is comforting them, reassuring them that good will come from this hardship that they are about to witness. So now we read in John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Loving people is costly. We know that from looking at the cost that Jesus had to pay. But that doesn't mean it's without reward. This verse is reassurance that we're not loving people in vain. We may not be getting anything here on earth, but Jesus is preparing a place for us where we will join him in his father's home. Many people tend to focus on the physical outcomes, but what we need to focus on is the eternal outcomes. We don't gain, whatever we gain here on earth 
it will mean nothing after we die. We don't bring any of our earthly belongings, our earthly titles, our earthly reputations. None of that comes with us after we die. But the reward we have waiting for us is far greater than any of these. And it's eternal life with our Heavenly Father. It's living in a world free of pain, free of suffering, free of burden. This is what we have to look forward to. This is the reward that we get for loving like Jesus loved. Because if we love like God, we should have the maker's mark of love, which requires us to first commit and then to pay the cost. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, this is something we've heard before. We hear all the time, love like you love. But when the time comes and the price is given, we need to be willing to pay it. But it's not that easy. We have to commit first to loving like you loved so that we will pay whatever the price is. I pray that you help all of us understand how important this is. That we must find a way to commit to this love, to pay the cost of this love. I pray you help all of us find our own way of committing to this. And I pray all of this in your precious son's name. Amen.